Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pros and Content Podcast brought to you by Notch, the content intelligence platform. My name is Anda. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Notch, and I'm hosting our data-driven CMO series, during which I will interview CMOs who are ahead of the curve when it comes to both content and data and how they use both to move their business forward. In these interviews, we're going to reveal really unique perspectives on the importance and intersection of measurement and content, but also a ton of fun personal stories and great career advice from these incredible leaders. I hope you enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Data-Driven CMO Podcast. I am here with the one and only Vineet. Hi. Hi. I've known you for two or three years now, although it's been COVID, so it feels like forever and also like not that long ago. But I met you when you were at Walgreens, and you've since made the switch into kind of the Silicon Valley world. And so you're now tuning in live from Market Street in San Francisco. Yep. It's a crazy time in the world. And I think being data-driven has never mattered more. I'm super happy to be talking to you. You're one of not only the top CMOs, but also one of the smartest when it comes to building a great tech stack. So thank you for your time. Thank you. Great to be here. So I wanted to throw a quick kind of journey question initially, which is about your journey, not the journey that Notch is selling. How did you begin your journey as a marketer? My journey began now more than 20 years ago. So I'm aging myself. So I'm an old man now. It actually started in high school. I went into high school thinking I was going to be a doctor following the footsteps of many in my family before me. Realized I was just really bad at science and academics in general. And so that wasn't necessarily going to work out for me. But I had a lot of passion for, I don't know, just figuring things out and solving problems. I had a grade 11 teacher who was actually an ex-Procter & Gamble employee turned teacher. And he was teaching an entrepreneurship and business course. And I did like really well in that course. And it just came naturally to me. And then he like took $50 out of his pocket, said, go start a business. We started this awesome store in my high school that started with just a lollipop stand, turned into like Coca-Cola coolers, became a great profit center for the school. I fell in love with business. And he told me all about P&G. I went out to university, ended up getting an internship at Procter & Gamble. This was like 20 plus years ago when that was the place to learn marketing. The rest is history. I fell in love with it. And here I am. I love what I do. That's amazing. I was talking to Carla, who you know as well, and she got started in CPG. I actually think a lot of the band of great CMOs of today got started in CPG, but then went on to build careers in technology and finance and so on. It sounded like CPG, you know, marketing there just has a much more important voice. It's much more of a PL function and influences product, it influences other functions as well. In technology, I feel like marketing is still trying to find its voice. How have you sort of seen the role of marketing across the different industries that you've been a part of? There's no doubt that in CPG, we used to call it the brand management function. And this was, you know, I've been out of CPG now for more than a decade, but it was really the P&L. It was a general management sort of group. And eventually you'd either run a brand P&L or divisional P&Ls and things like that. I think things are changing, but slowly in the kind of tech and retail world. And what I mean by that is, yeah, I think marketing used to be bucketed as sort of like go-to-market kind of activations and sort of brand strategy and things like that. And I know that at least in my career, 
when I was at Walgreens, I started as a CMO, eventually became the chief customer officer, which meant I had a lot of our product function, a lot of our data science functions all reporting in. So I think what's happening is marketing starting in one place, but depending on who is occupying the spot and the kind of skill sets we as a community build beyond sort of those classic skill sets. I think marketing is turning more and more into a customer experience driven function, which means you need the full funnel, right? All the way from telling the story of your brand into laying out customer journeys, into driving acquisition all the way to retention and actually building the experiences, both physical and digital, that allow you to win and differentiate in the market. So it's still early days, I'd say, in tech, but you're seeing more and more companies in tech kind of getting with that sort of new and I would say revised language of marketing, which is really being driven by tech. I always say to people, I think the word marketing almost needs a marketing campaign. It's totally the wrong word, I think, now to describe what we do. I think CEOs can do much more. What's the one word you would use? It's growth. I've had the role of chief growth officer for the last four or five years. And ultimately, marketing has always been about growth. It's just the path to it now is more nuanced and broader than it has been in the past. Well, it's interesting because I think when you say the word growth, it automatically feels more measurable and more data-driven. Whereas when you say the word marketing, it feels like it could be a lot of different things. It could be Don Draper, but it could also be growth marketing. So maybe in that way, I wonder, do you think of brand as a function for growth purity, or do you think of brand as potentially an island at times, depending on the, the company? Yeah, we have this weird like East Coast, West Coast, Biggie Tupac thing going on <laughs> in marketing, where it's like brand versus a lot of times growth is performance marketing is the way it's talked about. I think it's all growth. Eventually, you can only direct response your way to so much growth. At some point, that stalls out. And you need to sort of build the brand, tell the narrative, differentiate what your brand's all about. And then that builds the top of the funnel. And you can start to pull those folks through the funnel with things like direct response, lifecycle marketing, journeys, and all those kinds of things. So my perspective, and this is why I use the word growth a lot, I think it's all growth. And you need all of these levers to do it. And I think the more and more we as marketers think ourselves as a growth function, which frankly, we always have been. It's just, I think we have work to do to continue to reinforce that in our industry. And then of course, we have to deliver the growth, right? It's one thing to call yourself growth function, then you got to like deliver the growth. And really, I think that's why we're here is to build great brands and drive amazing growth. And I think those two things are very connected. I'm going to ask you hopefully a difficult question, even for you, which is how do you deal with the work that isn't immediately measurable or maybe isn't even measurable that you know is important? I don't know if it's brand or if it's something else, but I think we all as leaders have those types of priorities or projects that we just have a gut feeling about and we know we got to pursue them. I know you also worked at a company that was private equity backed and When you have a board or a set of investors like that, it's really all about numbers and it all has to connect back to the numbers. So how did you think about explaining those projects and what was the hardest thing about it? The most important thing is it's how you talk about the full stack, I call it, or the full funnel of marketing to your board or to your CFO or to your investors. And what I mean by that is different parts of what you're working on will drive different parts of the funnel. And what we've got to do is we've got to develop the measurement systems and the connections from the top of the funnel right down all the way to retention and loyalty. And 
you know, one of the ways I think about that is to say, hey, like if I'm doing this work at the top of the funnel, it's driving this much from kind of a lead generation standpoint that is getting people interested in our brand, right? So some spend is about just getting engagement and getting people interested in what we do and our product and our services. And then the next part of the funnel, you kind of have different kinds of content or ways to go about it that kind of pull people further and closer to what your product is and gives them the next level of information. And then you can use direct response to sort of pull them in. I guess what I'm getting at is in the connected sort of data-driven marketing world we are in now, you can start to really connect the ecosystem of sort of marketing channels and tactics up and down the funnel. And it's our job to sort of start to communicate the long-term role, but also in the short term, what each tactic is doing to sort of help the next part of the funnel. It's like the sequential thing that we have to work on. That's really the hardest part to do, but something that we have to get really proficient at as an industry. So that's the bar. The bar is you have to be able to be articulate in explaining the connection between all the different points. That makes sense. Well, to that point, how have you thought about building a data function within your team? Also, by the way, when you got started as a marketer, was the data function a function that even reported into marketing? Well, when I got started, data was mostly, I'd say, kind of analytics and consumer insights. Today, it's DSML, right? You need data engineers, you need ML folks, you need AI people, you need people that can model things in the data warehouse. And then you need like analytics folks that are really digging deep every day into different parts of this funnel and constantly optimizing it. So you have marketing analytics, you have sort of product analytics. We even have people that are like fully focused on conversion and retention analytics, right? So you have to start to get these teams that are focused on different parts of the funnel supported by sort of DSML experts that are kind of enabling these analytics to be as powerful and as predictive as possible. And the truth is, in terms of where they report, I've been in lots of different situations. I think it depends on the maturity of the company. If you're a bit earlier stage and you're still in the world where you're trying to organize all of this data and the event schema and all the information you have, I think it makes a lot of sense to centralize the data function because you've got to get all of the data warehouse, all of the pipes connected to things like your CDP and all of your marketing tools and your product optimization tools. So I think at times it makes sense to centralize. But analytics itself, I think, whether it's centralized or not, needs to be embedded into the different parts of the team that are managing the different parts of the growth funnel. I think that's generally where I lean. I'm less kind of picky about where it sits and more importantly, focused on what's being prioritized in that group. Is the roadmap aligned? And are the analytics folks embedded with the people that are actually driving the tactics to drive each part of the funnel? Yeah, that makes sense. I think the construction of the team to some extent could complicate or simplify the ultimate insights upon which you know decisions get made. Some of the things I've been realizing at the intersection of kind of content and data is that ultimately, if you're trying to move a customer journey, it's neither the content team nor the data team that's going to do that on their own, right? So how do you then think about the interplay between these functions, especially the data insights function and the kind of folks who are making decisions on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, it's all about having, honestly, a common language for success and for how you're going to measure performance. 
we're more and more now looking at things like full funnel dashboards that literally go all the way from traffic and website visits down to sort of customer acquisition at the very top of the funnel, all the way down to loyalty. And if you're looking at what happens sometimes is analytics gets done in these silos, right? You have some teams looking at one part of the funnel, some teams looking at another. And I think it's really important that if you're a growth leader, you have definitely teams that are focused on different areas, but that you are pulling it all together and pulling your whole organization together, call it every week or a couple of weeks, to look at how different parts of the funnel are working and are they supporting each other. I think you can easily lose the forest from the trees if you don't do that and get stuck in very specific parts of the problem and not actually figure out if everything you're doing is moving your business forward. And so I think it's really important that you bring people together, even if they're sitting in separate teams, and look at that full stack of sort of metrics, top to bottom, that allow you to optimize decisions. Let let me give you a very real example. In some cases, companies that are siloed will be like, you know, you got to bring down your customer acquisition costs. Maybe that's true, but actually maybe the opposite is true. Maybe if you're looking at your full stack, you should actually take up your customer acquisition costs and work on your conversion rates on your site because you drive up quality, but actually address that on the rate side of your business. But if you're not looking at your full stack, it's easy to kind of go, okay, great. You do the CAC thing. You do the conversion rate thing. You do the retention thing. But the truth is I may be better off taking up my customer acquisition costs in the top of the funnel to actually improve rates. So I'm actually converted cost is lower. Right. Because you're bringing in higher quality leads, right? Right. Or I might be better off like reducing the upfront spend and potentially hiring more engineers to work on my site conversion. I'm not sure. But those are the kinds of trade-offs I think we now need to make more and more to be successful. Well, everything you just said really goes back to this idea of a journey, right? So the customer has a continuous experience or rather, you know, an experience that they perceive as continuous. And oftentimes marketing teams tend to believe that the feedback loops they have to optimize are small and siloed. Do you guys think about journey internally? And if so, who's responsible for the whole journey or for optimizing across the whole journey? Yeah, totally. So more and more, that's becoming the role of marketing kind of connected to sort of product growth functions, right? So what I mean by that is, I actually don't think companies that are not looking at the journey in the context of a funnel are really going to be able to optimize for growth moving forward. Because the honest truth is, is that I think most companies now need to develop some kind of a function or a leader or multiple squads led or sponsored by a leader that are looking at everything holistically. What I've done in the past is sometimes I've actually been that chief growth officer where I'm holding all of those functions together structurally. In other cases, we're working more of an agile model where I'm sort of sponsoring multiple squads, but those squads are actually broken up into different parts of the funnel with sort of dedicated teams working on those different parts. But unless you pull it all together like that, and unless it's connected with a singular goal, which is growth, whatever your growth metric is, it's going to be really hard to break out of those silos and really unlock growth across the funnel where you really truly need to optimize. Maybe take one thing down, take one thing up, and that's how you have to manage growth moving forward. So it does come down to how you're organized and the data that supports your decision-making across that. I think that's the journey a lot of companies are on right now. Great. How do you guys think of content as a part of that mechanism? Yeah, content, it's a word we hear about a lot. Everyone's talking about content. 
And the truth is, I think content is a nuanced thing, right? Content needs to do different things depending on where it is in the funnel. At the very top of the funnel, it has one role. In the middle of the funnel, it has another role. And at the bottom of the funnel, it has a very different role to play. So we think about content relative to the part of the funnel we are trying to activate. And then we give it the goals attached to that part of the funnel, right? So we don't kind of paint it with one brush. We look at content as play the role it's supposed to do, and that's going to be very different. And then we give it very clear metrics on how we want to optimize for what it's meant to be doing. Makes sense. Tell me a little bit about how you guys are thinking about the future of growth or marketing or whatever we end up calling it. It's obviously a pretty stormy time in the world and it's impacting both budgets, but also companies where, as we know, doing layoffs in mass at the moment. How are you guys thinking about it and what's going to change in terms of the tactics you're employing going forward? Well, if you think about it, for those of your folks watching this that have been in the industry for a while, this notion of growth at all costs is a pretty recent phenomenon, right? If you think about it, over the years, capital efficiency has always been important. And the way I look at what's happening right now is it's a flight back to deploying the capital. And that means the content dollars, the media dollars, the human kind of resource dollars we have in the most efficient way possible to drive growth. And to me, you know, I know it sounds like a new thing because we've been in an era of kind of growth at all costs. But the truth is, we're all working in commercial businesses. And I think every CMO and marketer has been evaluated since the beginning of time for how little can I spend to get the most out of it. Really, I think the industry's on this sort of path to capital efficiency. And I think that's driving a couple of trends, right, in how CMOs are thinking about things. One is, while paid media will always be a really important part of what we do, and that's going to be critical, we're obviously going to look for efficiencies there. And those will be enabled by machine learning models, LTV-based bidding. All of those things will help drive that part of the funnel. But equally, you're hearing more and more CMOs now talking about organic acquisition. And acquisition vehicles like referrals, like SEO, like content that bring people into the funnel in a much more organic way, which is less sort of, I'd say, reliant on direct response paid mechanisms. And so it's not an or, I think it's an and. And as we all look to more capital efficiency, if we don't kind of crack the code to organic and content-led acquisition, I think we're going to be in a lot of trouble because we'll just get more and more over-reliant on paid as part of our acquisition mix. And I actually don't think we'll unlock all the capital efficiency that businesses, CEOs, and boards are looking for from us as CMOs over the next two, three, four, five years. So does growth still matter in the next 12 months? Absolutely. I mean, I think growth always matters. I think it's a bit of a shortcut to say, oh, we want to be capital efficient, so we shouldn't grow anymore. I think the second a business stops growing, I think it starts to lose relevancy. It's kind of telling you something about how your business model was operating. I just think we have to find new paths to grow. And I think all of us in our industry have got to take that mindset or very quickly, we'll just be seen as people who can spend money to drive growth versus driving growth through multiple tactics. And I think we all have to think about ourselves in that way, both for our companies and also, frankly, for the sake of what we do for a living and really driving the credibility of the CMO or the chief growth officer or whatever you want to call it in companies today. 
I really love that. I was asking more to set you up to say exactly what you said. I think what's important is this is a moment for us to get creative. Scarcity drives a lot of good decision making, actually. It really does. And even when it comes to kind of product building, I always have these debates with my co-founder, who you know, and I say to him, look, if we had $10 million, we'd build a worse product than if we had a million dollars, because inevitably people just want to do everything. It's an interesting moment in time to get creative and pivot and go where the customer continues to be. Yeah, that's a great point. Look, the dream for every CMO should be growth that is driven by content, your community and your product, which means zero dollar growth, right? That's like the dream for every CMO. Like our goal should not be to increase marketing budgets. Our goal should be to drive growth with the least amount of capital possible. Now, of course, we know zero dollar growth is a very difficult goal. But I think you're 100% right. Moments like this drive the most creative CMOs and their teams to be successful. I think that's where a lot of things we've talked about, like content-like growth, virality, referrals, community-powered, sort of viral loops, all those things are critical in moments like this. And then set your business up even better on the other end of you cracking that code. I do think that there is a phenomenon in our industry I still think of myself as an outsider in a way, even though I've been in for a few years. But one of the things that really struck me when I first went to Khan was how everyone measured themselves and their own importance, but also that of others based on their budget. And agencies obviously treat CMOs with a big budget in a very different way than they treat CMOs with a smaller budget. And the whole kind of ecosystem becomes about how much money you control. But the point you just made flips that mindset completely. And it says, no, it's actually about the results that you can drive with the least money possible. Have you seen this mindset? Like, How have you thought about it? You obviously went from having huge budgets to smaller budgets. That's obviously not what drives you. Yeah. I mean, yeah, just for context, I mean, I've had budgets in excess of $3 billion and I've had budgets that are less than $10 million, right? And I purposely take those challenges because like you said, it's like, how do you drive growth in both situations? And by the way, it's entirely true, right? I'm the same person was contacted very differently depending on the job that I had. And I think part of that is just the way the industry has been wired for so many years. If you think about marketing for so many years, it was like a GRP, if you recall that term, I haven't used that term in years, but a GRP led sort of industry, right? Like a big moat for big brands. This is pre-direct response kind of scaling was like, I can just outmedia you and spend a ton of money. And there was a big moat, right? Because new entrants can break in. Then you had places like Facebook and Google come in to capture intent and attention through direct response-based sort of clicks. And all of that changed. And you saw new direct-to-consumer brands, challenger brands coming in because the barriers to entry had dropped. And I think we're now in that third evolution where, okay, now we're spending a lot of money on both kind of call it mass media as well as sort of direct response. So that's fine. And now we're all looking for ways on how our community and kind of our content is actually the driver of growth. Imagine 20 years ago, if you said to someone that content itself can be attached to kind of acquisitions of customers, and you could actually measure that. I'm not sure anyone would have said that that was even possible. And I think today we're in that third phase where organic and content-led and product virality loops, right, are going to start to become the next big space 
that CMOs will want to drive growth with. I think it's a really exciting time for our industry. I love how you presented it as sort of these three waves. I do think there's brands that are still in wave one for what it's worth. But I do agree that we're sort of getting to the end of wave two and we have to come up with a new playbook. And I do think this could be that forcing function that really moves us into this third wave. And by this, I mean, you know, the economic climate that we're headed into. Right. Well, if you think about it, they're waves, but they're more like a Venn diagram, right? Like they're waves that eventually like the circles start to merge. And what I mean by that is it's not like mass media went away or it's not like direct response sort of went away. It's just the mix, the recipe needs to constantly sort of evolve. And in many ways, I think we're in the new golden age of marketing, where if you think about it, if content and sort of community and virality loops are big drivers of growth moving forward, creativity becomes king. Because if you don't have content that grabs attention to do what it's supposed to do, you won't crack it. But the only way to crack good content is to have great insights and creativity to bring that content into the world. So in many ways, I think we're almost different mix, but kind of going back to a world where creativity is going to be a big part of driving performance. And that's what's so exciting. Except this time with data. Yeah, of course, creativity has to be measured and optimized with data. But ultimately, if you have all the data in the world, but no creative content, you're not going to cut through. And I don't need data to tell me that. So you need all of that together, create great content measure it, optimize it, and kind of keep working on that kind of loop as much as possible. I will say that maybe something that's different in this, I mean, I'm calling it a wave now, but this part of the Venn diagram is that it feels like the creativity and the content is a lot more owned. So it's brands doing it versus creative teams outside of brands or agencies, essentially. And that definitely has been happening over the last almost 10 years, transitioning into the state. Exactly. Brands are publishers now. I mean, it's that simple. We are publishers and we're curators of our community. And ultimately, that community publishes on your behalf. And that's where you kind of crack the code, right? Because I honestly don't think people like being marketed to anymore. Think about yourself. Like, do you like it when people are marketing to you? No, you want useful, helpful, informative content that helps you solve things that you're going through. And I think that very much harkens to brands as publishers, brands as curators and kind of administrators of their community. And when those two things come together, content and community, I think you get a really special formula. And that's, I think, going to be some real magic that our industry is going to have to unlock over the next decade. Well, fingers crossed. I'm definitely invested in making content the next big wave. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you so much. You've been, as usual, so wise and so inspiring. And so I can't wait for the world to hear this conversation. Thank you. Appreciate it. And congrats on everything you're doing at Notch and look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks for listening to Data Driven CMO. Take a moment to subscribe so you can drop in on future conversations with CMOs who are ahead of the curve in content and data using both to move their businesses forward. Learn more how the right data can reveal your organization's true audience journey at Notch.com. That's K-N-O-T-C-H dot com. And thanks for listening.